the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible, every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar playing all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Soapy Dollar. Well, maybe a thermometer that only has three settings, cold warm and hot a thermostat more degrees than a thermostat that's what i've got welcome aboard everyone thanks for joining us tonight for the bible live broadcast good hard day of work today a lot of stuff going on a lot of things to get prepared but then always enjoy ending the day here with you as we gather around the scriptures reading from the bible learning sharing and being encouraged as we make our way through the book of books tonight through our wisdom and worship segment reading through the psalms and the proverbs we are in psalm 62 i think you're going to really enjoy this one tonight and then in our reading through first and second samuel we are now in second samuel chapter 7 we have the transition figure of samuel transitioning from the times of the priest to the times of the prophets he is also helping to transition from the times of the judges he's also considered to be the last of the judges of israel transitioning now to the time of the kings beginning with the first king of israel a man named saul from the tiny tribe of benjamin i've always wondered if he might not have been a compromised king god did instruct samuel to anoint him and so he was selected But he was a great disappointment. He did not have the vision for the kind of land and kind of nation that God intended Israel to be. It might guide us in our choice of leaders as we pray about carefully who would lead our country in these very, very crucial days. Well, before we get to that, though, placing all of our hope in God, knowing that God is in control, allows us to wait patiently for him to rescue us. True relief doesn't come when the problem is resolved because more problems are on their way. You can count on that. True relief comes from an enduring hope in God's ultimate salvation. Only then do we learn in this Psalm 62 will all trials be resolved. Psalm 62 I wait quietly before God, for my salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. 
my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They are friendly to my face, but they curse me in their hearts. I wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. From the greatest to the lowliest, all are nothing in His sight. If you weigh them on the scales, they are lighter than a puff of air. Don't try to get rich by extortion or robbery, and if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you judge all people according to what they have done. End of reading Psalm 62. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. You have yet to deny. Oh, that's a great principle from the scriptures. A broken heart and a contrite spirit you are yet to deny, and yet God resists the proud and the arrogant. In Saul, we had someone who had a false humility and really quite self-obsessed, focused on himself and on his well-being instead of focusing on the people he was to serve. We've read about Saul, and he's in our past. Now we've come to David, who after 25 years has finally become the king of all Israel, all of the different tribes. He was pronounced king of Judah, and then seven years later, the other tribes came together, uniting, choosing him to be the king as opposed to Isbosheth, the son of Saul. David has conquered Jerusalem, making it the city of David, the capital of the nation under him. He's tried to move the Ark of the Covenant there, but was unsuccessful because they did not follow the commands of God. Uzzah paid the price, a man named Uzzah, who stuck his hand out to stabilize the Ark and was struck dead. The Ark was then put into the home of an individual who received a great deal of blessing from having it in his home. So uh, we're caught up a little bit as to where we are. He got his wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, back from the man who had married her after Saul took her away from David. She has been given back to him as his wife, but their relationship is stymied, and she will remain childless throughout her life. So now we're going to pick up with King David. God is going to renew his covenant with David and with Israel through him. Tonight on The Bible Life. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11, 27. 2 Samuel 7. When the Lord had brought peace to the land and King David was settled in his palace, David summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, here I am living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out in a tent. 
Nathan replied, Go ahead and do what you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a temple to live in? I have never lived in a temple, from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until now. My home has always been a tent, moving from one place to another, and I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, Why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar temple? Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I chose you to lead my people Israel when you were just a shepherd boy, tending your sheep out in the pasture. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies. Now I will make your name famous throughout the earth, and I have provided a permanent homeland for my people Israel, a secure place where they will never be disturbed. It will be their own land, where wicked nations won't oppress them as they did in the past, from the time I appointed judges to rule my people. And I will keep you safe from all your enemies. And now the Lord declares that he will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die, I will raise up one of your descendants, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will use other nations to punish him. But my unfailing love will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your dynasty and your kingdom will continue for all time before me, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say? You know what I am really like, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have shown them to me. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord! There is no one like you. There is no other God. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you rescued your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever, so that all the world will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And may the dynasty of your servant David be established in your presence. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer because you have revealed that you will build a house for me, an eternal dynasty. For you are God, O Sovereign Lord. Your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to me, your servant. And now may it please you to bless me and my family, so that our dynasty may continue forever before you. For when you grant a blessing to your servant, O Sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 8 
After this, David subdued and humbled the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest city. David also conquered the land of Moab. He made the people lie down on the ground in a row, and he measured them off in groups with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. The Moabites who were spared became David's servants and brought him tribute money. David also destroyed the forces of Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah, when Hadadezer marched out to strengthen his control along the Euphrates River. David captured 1,700 charioteers and 20,000 foot soldiers. Then he crippled all but 100 of the chariot horses. When Arameans from Damascus arrived to help Hadadezer, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Aramean capital. And the Arameans became David's subjects and brought him tribute money. So the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David brought the gold shields of Hadadezer's officers to Jerusalem, along with a large amount of bronze from Hadadezer's cities of Teba and Berothai. When King Toy of Hamath heard that David had destroyed the army of Hadadezer, he sent his son Jeram to congratulate David on his success. Hadadezer and Toy had long been enemies, and there had been many wars between them. Jeram presented David with many gifts of silver, gold, and bronze. King David dedicated all these gifts to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had set apart from the other nations he had subdued, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek, and from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So David became very famous. After his return, he destroyed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He placed army garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became David's subjects. This was another example of how the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel and was fair to everyone. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Seraiah was the court secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was captain of the king's bodyguard. David's sons served as priestly leaders. 2 Samuel 9 One day David began wondering if anyone in Saul's family was still alive, for he had promised Jonathan that he would show kindness to them. He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them in any way I can. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he is crippled. Where is he? the king asked. In Lodebar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low in great fear and said, I am your servant. But David said, Don't be afraid. I've asked you to come so that I can be kind to you because of my vow to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the land that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you may live here with me at the palace. Mephibosheth fell to the ground before the king. Should the king show such kindness to a dead dog like me, he exclaimed. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for his family. But Mephibosheth will live here at the palace with me. Ziba, who had fifteen sons and twenty servants, replied, Yes, my lord, I will do all that you have commanded. 
And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly with David, as though he were one of his own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, moved to Jerusalem to live at the palace. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 10. Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun became king. David said, I am going to show complete loyalty to Hanun because his father Nahash was always completely loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanun about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, Hanun's advisors said to their master, Do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No! David has sent them to spy out the city so that they can come in and conquer it. So Hanun seized David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their robes at the buttocks, and sent them back to David in shame. When David heard what had happened, he sent messengers to tell the men to stay at Jericho until their beards grew out, for they were very embarrassed by their appearance. Now the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, so they hired 20,000 Aramean mercenaries from the lands of Beth Rehob and Zobah, 1,000 from the king of Maacah, and 12,000 from the land of Tob. When David heard about this, he sent Joab and the entire Israelite army to fight them. The Ammonite troops drew up their battle lines at the entrance of the city gates, while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehob and the men from Tob and Maacah positioned themselves to fight in the open field. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on two fronts, he chose the best troops in his army. He placed them under his personal command and led them out to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me, Joab told his brother. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely to save our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. When Joab and his troops attacked, the Arameans began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw the Arameans running, they ran from Abishai and retreated into the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Arameans now realized that they were no match for Israel. So when they regrouped, they were joined by additional Aramean troops summoned by Hadadezer from the other side of the Euphrates River. These troops arrived at Halam under the command of Shobach, the commander of all Hadadezer's forces. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Halam. The Arameans positioned themselves there in battle formation and then attacked David. But again the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen, including Shobach, the commander of their army. When Hadadezer and his Aramean allies realized they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to them and became their subjects. After that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 2 Samuel 11 the following spring, the time of year when kings go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to destroy the Ammonites. In the process, they laid siege to the city of Rabbah, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap and went for a stroll on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. 
He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent for her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform David. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah wouldn't go home. He stayed that night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. When David heard what Uriah had done, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and his officers are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I will never be guilty of acting like that. Well, stay here tonight, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk, but even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again he slept at the palace entrance. So the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And Uriah was killed, along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, Report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, Why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Gideon's son Abimelech killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him? Then tell him, Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gates, the archers on the walls shot arrows at us. Some of our men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. We'll tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword kills one as well as another. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. End of reading, 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11, 27. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Your words make home with all my soul. I thank you. Gratitude signifies a certain humility. When we say thank you, that we're showing a certain deference and humility. The scriptures are clear about those two characteristics of the people of God. We see those both in the life of David as well. We've watched him from a young boy to uh, now these many years later, 25, 35 years later, as he reigns as the second king of Israel. Kind of makes those psalms that we read 
written by David makes them come to life, doesn't it? All of those psalms about enemies and about betrayal, difficulties, attacks, and so on, they are very true in this man's life, even the one we read tonight, Psalm 62. David was talking about real enemies here, about people groups and about people who betrayed him. In our time now, we can use these psalms and these passages, but our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, not individual people. So that some of these principles of warfare can be used in spiritual sense to us, that God is going to overcome my pride and my arrogance and my lust, greed, and these vices. God is going to help drive them out of my life. We can apply them in that sense. It's a very good application, in fact. Clearly, in this Davidic covenant we talk about at the very beginning, God renews the covenant with Israel and through their leader David, through the king here. This covenant, this promise that God makes to his servant David is fulfilled in the Messiah. This is not an earthly thing. This is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus the Messiah, who was indeed a descendant of King David. Very, very interesting how he subdues all of these different people groups, the Philistines, the Moabites. Remember that his great-grandmother Ruth was a Moabite. He defeated Hadadazer and the Arameans at Damascus and took the kingdom all the way to the uh, Euphrates River to the north, which was part of the prophecy made back in Genesis 15, even as early as with Abraham. So we see a lot of wonderful things happening here for the people of Israel. David is a great warrior, but it is his son who will be the one who builds that temple that was spoken of. I have always wondered about David's punishment. Both of these sins were great sins. The adultery and the manipulation and the killing of Uriah. Nothing short of of murder could describe what he did. This was a good man, Uriah. The Hittite, he was a convert a follower of the true and living God, which would have pleased David greatly. He was a loyal soldier. He was among the 30 mighty warriors of David. And yet David had him killed. Now the child died, and David receives a great amount of pain from his The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 